Hi, welcome to the Business Class ESL Breakroom. We're a company of passionate language trainers and coaches. We're here to share ideas, to improve our skills, and strengthen the training community. Come in for some inspiration, leave with tips to apply to your sessions today. Hi, and welcome to the Business Class ESL Breakroom, the podcast to keep you and your ESL training moving forward. My name is Sue, and I'm very excited for today's show, as it is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, self-care. We are extremely lucky to have a guest who is uniquely poised to speak to us ESL trainers in particular. Rachel Roberts is a career-long ESL professional who has done it all in this field, from training in Egypt, Portugal, Poland, and Brazil, to writing materials for many well-known publishing houses. She's had a rich and varied career steeped in the ESL world. So at this point, her career is dovetailed into business and life coaching for ESL professionals, among others. So welcome, Rachel. We're really happy to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Really pleased to be here. Thank you, Suzanne. Yeah, it's great. So to start, I would love if you might just share a bit about your journey and, and what brought you into coaching and wellness after such a, a career in yourself. So, I mean, this is something that, you know, I talk about quite a lot because I think it's important, um, you know, that people understand that I've been there if you like so Mm -hmm. what kind of got me into all of this in the first place really was two experiences I had quite early in my career um, of burning out Mm -hmm. so the first one um, was when I was teaching abroad um, and working ridiculous hours and traveling um, all the time as well I was probably doing about 70 hours a week I would say Mm -hmm. Um, and it it sort of just got to the point where well, I came home back to the UK for Christmas and having that break made me realise just like how bad things were. Um, and so basically, you know, I didn't go back. After that. Um, and then um, I got a job at um, an FE college, that's Further Education College in the UK. Mm-hmm. And everything went swimmingly with that for a year or two. Um I got my arm twisted into becoming a manager, which wasn't quite so swimming, but it was still, you know, okay. Um, because I had arranged that I wouldn't do, you know, all of the tasks that perhaps should be included. So I wasn't doing the funding because I knew nothing about that kind of thing. You know, so there was somebody who was dealing with those sorts of things and I was focusing on the people, which is what I've always liked. Yeah. Um And then the person who was dealing with that side of things went on maternity leave and we had um, an Ofsted inspection, which is like the government inspection. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I had to deal with all of it and be inspected on it. And guess what happened? Mm -hmm. You know, it was just too much. And I ended up having to take time off again. And at that point, I finally, I'm obviously a slow learner, uh, realized that something had to change, not just in the jobs that I had because yes they were complicit you know and they were overloading me but it was also about me and it was about what I was agreeing to you know what I was taking on Mm -hmm. um, the sort of urge that I had to kind of be perfect and to please people and all of this kind of thing and that sort of set me off down a path which um, ended up 
with me um, training as a counsellor and psychotherapist, actually. Fantastic. Uh, wow. So that, that was what I did like 20 years ago, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but then didn't use it professionally other than in my work as a manager and a teacher trainer and so on. And then about three, four years ago, I decided that actually this was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, if not now, then when? So I retrained as a coach and here we are. Beautiful. That's a beautiful marriage of a lot of skill, different skills. And yeah, I'm sorry, I neglected to mention you are an experienced teacher trainer as well, which is a whole other level of training. Well, it's 30 <laughs> years in the business, so there's time to do a few things. But I think that's so fantastic because you know, if I can say us in, in quotes, well, you know the trainer animal and not mm. we're all the same exact person. But I imagine there are a lot of traits that are very similar that bring someone to this kind of profession. Yes, I, I think so. Yeah. And so may I ask then, um, I had two questions as you were speaking. I kind of wanted to jump right into burnout. Mm. Um, but before we get there, um, maybe first you could address what are some traits you've seen repeated that come from people particularly working as trainers? Well, you know, I think that people who are drawn to work with other people in this kind of way, you know, as trainers and teachers, mm-hmm. tend to be very giving people mm-hmm. and empathic people. And both of those are obviously really good things. However, they can both, I think, be, you know, a bit of a, a double-edged sword in that we can end up being too empathic, too giving towards other people Mm -hmm. and not enough um, empathy and um, self-care directed towards ourselves, and you know that's a very sort of short-term thing because ultimately we can't continue like that. Absolutely but I I finally add I find that we don't recognize it Mm -hmm. and many of us just don't don't realize what has been your experience with that. Yes I think that's true. I mean the other thing I would say that I often find is that people that I work with have um, kind of they're very strong Mm -hmm. you know and they have this idea that oh you know it's it's only sort of people who are who are weak that burn out but Mm -hmm. actually it's kind of the opposite um, because when you when you want of those people who you know is very strong who can and does work very hard because they're passionate about what they do you don't really notice what's happening Mm -hmm. Um, it's a bit like there's a metaphor about um, you know if you put a frog into a pan of cold water um, it's the other way around if you put a frog into a pan of hot water it will jump out immediately if you put it into cold water and heat it gradually it will stay there until it's too late I mean not that anybody's actually doing that to frogs I hope (laughs) but you know the metaphor is clear it builds up over time gradually it becomes normal for us to feel constantly stressed and we just don't realize until we kind of hit that point where it's just too much you know the body just isn't designed to put up with those kinds of chronic levels of stress. And would you have any red flags or signs that other people may not recognize as red flags that you'd like to mention? Yes, sure. I mean, I think um, I think there are a few, actually. Um, I'd say one thing, you know, that, I, that is quite often the case is you have that sense of not having any spare capacity mm-hmm. um, emotionally as much as anything, you know. So it's, it's like the 
tiniest thing that you ought to, you know, normally just shrug off mm-hmm. will infuriate you, you mm-hmm. know. So that's often a sign that like your bucket, if you like, is too full already. Mm-hmm. And so even just a, you know, a few drops more and you're overflowing. Mm-hmm. Um, Health wise, mm-hmm. you know, if you keep getting ill, I don't mean major things, although that can certainly happen with burnout, but just I mean, we've all been away from everybody for a year, so this probably isn't happening now. But if you're normally the kind of person that always catches every cold going, that's a sign that your immune system is suppressed, which is something which often happens as a result of stress. And so that can be an indicator, I think. Um, what are sleep problems? Um, you know, whether you're finding it hard to switch off at night or you're waking up, um, you know, 3, 4 a.m. with everything going around your head, you know, that you've got too much cortisol and adrenaline going through your system, basically. And so your body cannot understand why you want to sleep when clearly your life is at threat, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's keeping you awake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah the, I mean, an attitude as well. I think if you if you start to become you know more cynical and detached when you weren't like that before um that can be a sign yeah I think I've noticed sometimes with myself if I find myself I'm driving and I get irritated quickly with other Mm. drivers I go "Uh uh-oh because normally I don't do that too Mm. often yeah find that creeping up then I have to look elsewhere in my life yeah absolutely yeah interesting yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. Burnout may not look like what I think we think. We expect it to be just total breakdown or, or mm. it may not quite look like that. Well, I mean, eventually, if you continue, it probably will get to that. Mm-hmm. But I think there can be lots of stages along the way. Mm. Um, and we can go through a process of kind of coming close to the edge and then pulling ourselves back and then coming close to the edge again. You know, if if every holiday you have, you feel completely exhausted and you can't switch off for like the first week, then that's a sign, I think, that you are generally doing too much. Okay, people, do you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Listen up. (laughs) So true. How many of us say, uh, Mm. oh, the first week is just coming down and then by the second week you're ready to finally Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So what might you suggest or offer that might help prevent this from ever becoming the case? What are some of your favorites that you've learned? Over? Well, I think it's a combination um, for me of practical tips um, and looking at what's underneath, if you like. Yeah. You know, so, so the practical tips, I think, are in many ways more obvious. You know, they're about things like... Um, getting some exercise because exercise is is really good for releasing those stress hormones because Mm -hmm. it's like you know the body sort of has built them up in order to do something and a lot of the you know like fight a a tiger or something like that you know Mm -hmm. biologically and a lot of the time we don't actually do anything with those stress hormones so if we exercise we can release them and stop them swilling around our body getting outside and mm. especially into nature, if we can, mm-hmm. um, you know, that has that's not just a kind of hippie thing. It has been shown um, that walking amongst nature definitely reduces like blood pressure more than, say, walking in an urban 
situation. Mm-hmm. Um, they even think that trees um, give off particular um, pheromones, I think it is, that will actually help us to relax. So walking in a forest is particularly good. I believe that. That's fascinating. It's yeah. incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And I love the science that you're putting behind it because it's easy to say, ah, oh, I could go for a walk in nature. That's nice. But if you say, I'm really doing this to release some mm. toxic, toxic mm. my body, it might motivate us more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Um, and then things like, you know, good sleep hygiene, um, mm-hmm. you know, not looking at your smartphone and your emails when you're lying in bed before you try to go to sleep, um, meditating. Um, you know, we know that that can have a really positive impact on the brain, on the physical structure of mm-hmm. the brain. Um, deep breathing. You know, there are lots of practical techniques, I think. Right. We hear those all the time in the wellness mm. area and they are now becoming more and more um, quantified, justified mm. kind of hard statistics. I think that mm. help people. But um, just before off off. Uh, the recording we were talking a bit about some habits I thought that was a great concept you mentioned um, habits also help yes well habits can either help or hinder can't they it <laughs> depends on the habit um, but I think you know we all have this thing um, where we get we're at the beginning of the year you know it's new year we make these sort of oh you know I'm going to have all of these great new habits and then about two weeks later Um, most of them have completely disappeared Mm. and then we beat ourselves up about that Um, but actually I think we need to recognize that this is completely natural in that the the brain resists change Mm. because any kind of change is potentially a risk you know if what you're doing you haven't died yet then as far as you know your biology is concerned that's fine (laughs) <laughs> just keep doing it you know so there will always be that sort of resistance to to changing anything and so rather than beating ourselves up about it I think we have to find ways to kind of be a bit sneaky um, and to get around that you know so one one for example is to and it sounds obvious but it can make a big difference to make it really easy to make the change mm-hmm. so you know uh, James Clear in his book Atomic Habits, which mm-hmm. I recommend. Yes. By the way, you really? look like you've read it. Yeah. yeah. So he talks about reducing friction. That's how he calls it. So, for example, if you want to go to the gym, assuming we can ever go back to the gym, mm-hmm. um, make sure that your gym kit is packed and ready to go by the door so that you mm-hmm. don't have that opportunity to go, oh, no, I haven't got time now to get it all together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, have, you know, have things if you if you want to drink more water make sure that you have a big glass of water on your desk um you know make it easy for you to make those changes and reduce the things that are stopping you from making those changes so you know if you want to eat more healthily don't put the chocolate and biscuits somewhere that's really easy to get to you know? <laughs> just don't buy it I'm at that well or don't buy it yes if you live with two teenagers <laughs> that's not an option but <laughs> but at least it can go you know ours goes down in the cellar so at least I have got to actually go all the way down the stairs into the cellar to get it and just having to do that makes you stop and think rather than it being immediately to hand mm-hmm. um, and I th- 
I think also not trying to do too much at once because then we're often setting ourselves up for failure. You know, a lot to be said about that. Really evaluating our to do list. Mm. We set up our days and our work patterns. Yes. I mean, actually, you know, moving moving on from habits that in general, I think, is really important because people have, you know, ridiculously unrealistic ideas of what they can actually fit into a working day. Mm-hmm. And then they're constantly, um, you know, disappointed and cross with themselves for not having done it. Absolutely. And and I am the biggest victim of that. Um, and I'm really trying to learn. But can you maybe think about some of your clients, and you don't have to speak personally about anyone, but what you've seen, especially in people who are working in training, um, maybe some changes they've implemented, how they did their session notes or how they booked their hour. You know, is there something maybe you can give us a concrete example? So, I mean, I would say, you know, a, a typical client for me actually mm-hmm. comes to me because they are completely overloaded. Um, so they're trying to do far too much. And equally, they're not charging enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the two things are related. Um, you know, I mean, the, one of the taglines that I use in my business is um, work less, earn more, live more fully, you know, mm-hmm. and those those things are related. And I think as educators, we're often a bit kind of awkward about money. Yes. Um, you know, oh, we shouldn't really be, be expect to be paid at all. You know, we should be doing this for love and vocation. Yeah, English, and, I can translate everything for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but the problem is, if you do that, you then have to work three times as hard in order to earn enough, you know, for your life. Yeah. So, so those things are sort of very much linked together, I think. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is about that sense of um, yeah, guilt about asking people for money. Um, you know, I often hear clients say things like, oh, I don't know if my students can afford that. Um, you yeah. know, to which I say, no, that's right, you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because actually, how, how do you know what is what your clients can afford or not? And how is that your business? You know, ultimately, it's about what you think the value is of what you're providing and what will enable you to earn enough that you don't have to half kill yourself. Right. And that is one of our our goals of this podcast is to validate the profession as a whole. Mm -hmm. We are a language training outfit, of course. We operate a little differently than a freelancer. But that that said, we we recognize and the founder of our company recognized early on she's as a trainer herself mm. you know you don't training English training might get relegated to early morning or midday who would send a management consultant to a company and ask them to do their business over lunch with the mm. employees and it's that idea that language training is a skill a valued skill and mm. speaking whatever language you need at work it's it's as important as new management techniques Absolutely. It's about communication, you know, and how far will you get in business if you can't communicate effectively? You know, so it's extremely important, I think. Um, And yes, absolutely. It should it should be valued. And I do think actually within ESL that that is a particular issue. You know, there is still this this problem of, you know, I mean, just talking about myself you know I've been in this business for 30 years I've got a master's degree a diploma you know all of this and I still when I tell people what I do 
quite often get people saying things like, oh, yes, my cousin did that for a year in Thailand. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of think, no, it's not quite the same as your backpacking <laughs> cousin. <laughs> so, you know, having that that sort of um, respect and status, if you like. And I think it's something we've got to also take for ourselves and kind of make clear, you know. Right, which is, is exactly what this initiative is here and to mm you know, and to join together rather than to, to look at each other, you know, competitively, but we are an industry together and we're Absolutely, all yeah. forward the same goals and there is an abundant world. There is enough work out there mm. for everyone there because there is a real need. And there's a lot of myths about, Oh, the Germans, they speak English. Great. No, I worked there for four or five years. Mm. They don't all speak English perfectly. <laughs> you know, it's, there is a need. Oh, absolutely. Yes. No, I think so. And I think, you know, there will continue to be, even with translation software and things, it's about that human connection. And you can't have that, you know, unless you speak the language. Right, right. And so, yeah, getting back to just kind of the um, things that can help us, you know, trainers or anybody really, but Particularly, I loved some of your points you had made. I've read through your blogs. Um, some ideas you had, like stability zones or putting more work flow in your work life. Could you speak a little more to some of those ideas? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, stability zones is not a is not a new idea. Actually, it comes from a book that was published in 1979, I think. Um, Alvin Toffler, um, who wrote a book called Future Shock, um, and he was quite um, prescient really he you know he did see I think the way that things were going and the way that life was speeding up even then yes um and absolutely has now sped up you know to quite a degree and stability zones is um the idea that we consciously try to create um things in our life that will um help to um, well, stabilizes, if you like. So a stability zone might be a place, you know, so it might be like your favorite seat in your garden that helps you to feel calm. Um, but it can also be um, people, you know, so those people who being, when we're with them, that helps us to kind of feel grounded and safe. And indeed, you know, the opposite as well. You know, are we spending too much time with people who are making us feel drained um, and mm-hmm. anxious, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it might, it might be objects. Um, you know, there might be a particular, I don't know, that we light a particular candle or, you know, so it's about finding those things that help us to feel more relaxed and grounded, those things, people and places, and then making sure that we fit those into our life. So, you know, consciously. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And it reminds me of something I heard about high performers, a little different, but high performers like um, Steve Jobs and his uniform, they often wear the same thing every day because it takes a thinking out of their day, which is in a sense a stability zone of just lightening the load. So he had jeans and his black top because he didn't want to spend any other time thinking of, I think it's interesting. Um, Fantastic. Well, very often it's, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to wear the same thing every day right. because I like choosing <laughs> what I wear and I get pleasure from it. But I think that, you know, thinking about those things we do, which are not in any way enhancing our life, mm-hmm. but that we, you know, just keep doing them 
Um, and often they're things that we just kind of don't get around to sorting. Um, you know, so I had a great example actually earlier today um, on social media. Somebody was saying about how they um, had, hadn't got around to adjusting their heating thermostat um, for more than a year because it meant finding the manual um, and they just hadn't found the time to do it. So every day they were manually putting on and turning off the heating. Mm. And then they worked out that this had actually used up four hours of their time mm. over that year. And mm -hmm. that gave them the motivation to actually go and do something about it. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's a good metaphor because we, we do a lot of things like that, I think, where, you know, we just can't quite be bothered to, to do something about it. And yet the cost is actually relatively high. Truly, truly. And, and bringing it back even to our daily work habits as trainers, I personally find sometimes that was my admin writing the we call them session notes mm. and, and you or you put them off or you think oh I've got to get to the next client I don't have time for that right now but if I change that habit and make sure that I don't finish the session without that done it saves so much time in the long run mm -hmm. maybe you have other examples from other trainers of, of ways they've adjusted their work day to um, make things smoother well I think part of it is actually allowing time for that kind of thing you know, because when we when we run our own business, which is essentially, you know, what, what mm. we're doing, mm -hmm. um, we have time that we spend um, in our business, i.e. training. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have time, we should have time that we spend on our business. And that's what often gets completely ignored. You know, so somehow the time that we have to spend writing up notes, invoicing, emailing clients, you know, all of those kinds of things is somehow supposed to magically appear on top of the time that we spend actually in our business. And I think recognizing that, no, that is actually magical thinking and it's not, you know, not going to happen can really reduce the stress. And so you, you block out time to do things. Um, I mean, you know, obviously it would be different for different people depending on what they do, you know. Yeah. But for me, I, I now have a, a day a week where I don't see any clients, where I just work on my business. You know, so partly it's admin, but a lot of it is planning, um, you know, setting goals, reviewing what I've done, you know, those things that can help the business to grow as well, which is also important. <laughs> It's huge. And I think that you touched upon it exactly. We don't have the mindset often to see that as important and valuable. Mm -hmm. I wonder, does that go back to some of that um, aspect of, of the trainer personality, the, the empathetic personality who does not value themselves enough mm. to know that things that make their life easier are valid? It's yeah. not just a, a nicety I think in the beginning, I used to do that even with prepping my lessons. It felt like a luxury rather than, wait, no, this has to <laughs> and, and yeah, so this, what you're saying, it speaks to that. We need to adjust how we think and know that admin is as big a part of the job as the training part. Totally, you know, because that's, that's the underpinning. Having said that, if you can come up with systems to reduce that admin, mm -hmm. all to the good. You know, I mean, so I, I have in my coaching business, I have um, a client management system called Dubsado, which um, does all of my invoicing 
um, mm. and payment reminders and things for me. Um, and we'll also send out, you know, other sort of automatic emails. So like an email asking for feedback, for example. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love this because, you know, I used to spend so much time thinking, oh, God, I haven't invoiced so-and-so. Or, oh, I don't think they've paid. I better chase them. All. You know, all of this kind of thing. So to have that taken off my plate is fantastic. You know, so I do think if if there are jobs that you're doing that you hate doing, mm-hmm. somebody else can do them or an automation can do them then absolutely you know do that if you can yes yes but I think sometimes people first need to have their eyes open to the fact that they can either mm. if they can't you know delegate they don't have staff but they can find an automated system mm. or even google emails can be scheduled ahead of time mm. you can plan your reminders all in one day and schedule them so yeah it's technology today the technology but it, you know, it's like the example about the about the heating thermostat. People are like, "Oh, that would be good," but I haven't got time to do it. But if you think about the amount of time that you're wasting, it's definitely worth the investment. And it, and it's about focusing your energy into those areas where you can really make a difference. You know, which is going to be the training. Right. So there's a thought for everyone listening. The challenge I challenge you today, guys, to think about what's something that's irking you, you haven't done, don't have time. If you really think about it, if you take the time, maybe this week or even this weekend, mm-hmm. it could relieve a lot of stress in the long run. Yeah. It's a great one. Thank you, Rachel. I love that. Um, I also wanted to touch a little more on just this people pleasing aspect, you know, the industry, the a lot of us are like that. And what have you observed? What what have you helped people um, with in regard to that? I think I think it's a big one. Um, and you know, when we were talking about burnout, I said there's like the practical stuff, and then there's the underlying stuff. And the people pleasing is very often the underlying stuff. I think by which I mean that it's about the the messages that we were brought up with and what we saw, mm-hmm. um, you know, as children. So when, you know, when we're, when we're very little, everything that our parents or caregivers do and say, we take completely as gospel mm-hmm. because why wouldn't we? You know, we don't have any other perspective and we're completely dependent on these people. And so our brain kind of gets formed into particular patterns. Um, You know, so for me, to give an example, um, you know, my mother is one of these kinds of people who is always doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't even like coming around to my house because then she has to just sit. She prefers me to come around to hers because then she can get on with stuff while we talk. You know, so so I really picked up from that this idea that I ought to be busy and doing something all of the time Mm -hmm. and it's a very strong kind of bit of programming if you like um, in my brain Mm -hmm. and so once you're aware of that and that actually not everybody behaves that way because of course you think everyone's like that (laughs) then you can start to question it um, and then you can start to decide you know you can choose differently You can think, okay, you know, I can feel that I have this urge that I ought to be busy and doing something now. However, you know, with the more logical part of my brain, not the automatic program part, I know that I need to rest. So I am going to, you know, put my feet up and read this book. 
huge, mm-hmm. huge. I yeah. love this simple idea of question. Yeah. Is this a program or is this really what you want to be doing? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a really good book, another book I recommend. I don't know if you've read it called The Chimp Paradox. No, I don't know. So, no, it's, it's, it's a great book. So it's by um, a guy called Steve Peters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talks, he talks about, it's about the brain a lot. And he really? talks about um, how it's called The Chimp Paradox because we have this part of our brain that he calls the chimp, which is basically the amygdala, which is the sort of fight flight freeze part of the brain very primitive part of the brain right in in the middle and um the chimp um is sort of what reacts if you know we're about to step under a bus and we step back you know it's that kind of really automatic part and obviously we need that um when we're under threat but what we don't need is for that to be running our life because it's like we're being managed by a really reactive fearful toddler basically (laughs) so another part of our brain is the human which is kind of like the real us if you like you know more evolved Um, and then the third part um, is what he calls the computer and what he says is that either the chimp or the human can program the computer Mm -hmm. and so set up like these automatic ways of behaving Uh, and a lot of what um, we were brought up with is kind of chimp programming because it's when we're very little that we've put these programs into place you know and so we can reprogram those things and create new neural pathways you know it takes time but we can get the human to reprogram that computer which is such a relief isn't it yes exactly (laughs) there's hope for us guys there's hope bad habits any Things we think that's just the way I am. I'll think twice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it's, you know, of course we have genetic tendencies, but a lot of the way that we think we are is programming and it absolutely can be reprogrammed. And yeah, this is fantastic to know. And mm-hmm. I like the analogy. Someone says, like, who's driving the bus? Yes. <laughs> driving the bus or are you letting the, the two-year-old or whatever? Well, no, exactly, exactly. You do not want your chimp driving the bus. <laughs> and so there are a lot of things we can we can change. Um, mm. Fantastic. So mindset and ha- you know, habits are a big part of – it gives us a lot of power. I love yeah. the feeling of we do have the power. And sometimes as freelancers, uh, trainers may feel I'm at the mercy of – the industry or the employees the work that comes but there are a lot of things we can steal I, I think so and I, I think this is actually going back to you know the people pleasing I think this is the other reason that often um, clients find themselves doing this is because they are frightened oh if you know if I don't bend over backwards I won't get more work um, you know if 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 I don't sort of um you know, fear really that there might not be more work or that they might be rejected. Now, of course, there could be some truth in this because, you know, sometimes companies and employers can be um, somewhat unreasonable. Mm-hmm. However, generally speaking, that is just fear. Um, you know, I, I mean, I spoke to somebody earlier this week who was um, 
thinking of leaving a writing project, this was an ELT writer, Mm -hmm. um, had been treated appallingly, I have to say, you know, over a a long period of time, had got to the point of I can't do this anymore and I don't care if they even don't pay me um, and was, you know, thinking of just making up an excuse Mm -hmm. to, to stop the project and then um, decide, in fact, the, the conversation we had, they decided, no, they, were going, they weren't going to make an excuse, but they were just going to leave because there was no point doing anything else. They then decided, actually, no, I am going to say something, I think, through having explored the alternative, if you like. Okay. So they, they were very sort of, you know, just pleasant but assertive about it. And the company got back immediately like, oh, yes, that sounds very reasonable. And, you know, we'll be paying you more. And, you know, they got everything they wanted, basically. So sometimes that fear actually is in our head. Right. And people are not aware. The the people we work with sometimes, Mm. business partners, they may be just in their own world. And they're completely not aware of what's going on for you. Yeah. It's really easy, I think, for all of us to make up stories about what the other person is thinking and what's happening. And sometimes it's just totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, my goodness, this has been so great. There's so many. I think we could probably talk for <laughs> a long time. Um, but I'm, I'm aware of your time and our trainer's time. But do you maybe is there something you want to share that you would like people to know that you just feel that they don't and they, they haven't gotten and they keep coming to you for uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, no no pressure there um i i think i think the key thing actually that that a lot of my work comes back to is that that saying um don't believe everything you think <laughs> <laughs> because we tend to assume that our brain is, you know, um, what we should trust, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know, we're intelligent people and we can think these things through and that will always be the best solution. But actually, as we've seen that like when we were talking about the chimp and, and the human, there are parts of our brain that really we should not be trusting at all. You know, there are parts of our brain that are trying to sabotage us, um, hold us back, you know, through fear mainly and kind of wanting to protect us. But that is not necessarily the best advice, if you like. So it's it's about um, not just reacting to that first kind of fearful impression, but actually taking time to question it, as you say, mm-hmm. to to also um, become more aware of what we're feeling because often our emotions are actually a much truer um, source of information than what mm-hmm. we're thinking, you know, mm-hmm. because we can find us our brain going, oh, yes, you should definitely take this opportunity. It's a really good opportunity for us. But if we go a bit deeper, we can feel ourselves going, oh, my God, no, over my dead body, you know, because we know that it's actually going to be a really unpleasant experience for us, you know. So, yeah, that would be my thing to recognize that, you know, your thoughts are not necessarily always right, you know, and sometimes need questioning. Right. And what you just said, I think, is, is really worth um, exploring just a bit. The Because often we want to take work because we need to work. Mm. But you have that gut instinct that's telling you this is going to be a nightmare. Mm. But to give yourself permission to really explore before you say, pull the trigger and say yes. 
Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say if you are getting that gut feeling, this is going to be a nightmare. Believe it. Mm. <laughs> it is, you know, and, and trust yourself that there is other work out there and that you can find it. There's enough to go around. Yeah. To go around for everyone. I believe that. Mm. And before I let you go, Rachel, I'd love just to address because we are in this particularly unique time of this pandemic, isolation. Um, do you have any thoughts about the isolation you may feel as freelancers and now we don't even see our colleagues? Mm. I yes, I think this has been a really sort of hard time for a lot of people. You know, I think I mean I work from home anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I live with my family, so I don't have that kind of isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this has been particularly tough for people who are much more extrovert than I am mm-hmm. um, and people who live alone. And I think if you, if it's a combination of those two things, you know, if you need to be with other people mm-hmm. to get that energy yeah. and you live alone, I think this has been hugely tough. So I think maybe the first thing to say is, you know, recognising that this is not like a weakness or that there's something wrong with you or if you found this really difficult because you haven't been getting what you need, Mm. you know, which is that contact with people. Um, I think it's important just on a practical level. I think it is important that we, you know, we keep up a a proper routine, Mm -hmm. um, that we consciously try to look after ourselves you know it's a bit like being an athlete I think if in that if you were going to run a marathon you would make sure that you ate properly that you slept properly that you exercise and this has been a marathon yeah (laughs) so I think we need to take that same kind of attitude if you like of you know consciously really looking after ourselves Mm -hmm. and you know making sure that we do get as much connection with other people as we can you know, even if it's limited, it it has we have to, you know, do do what we can to keep that. Whether it's Zoom calls or, you know, if we can meet up distanced with one other person or, you know, rules vary in different countries. Right. And I think we've seen that that Zoom, you know, we can talk about the Zoom fatigue and all that, but I do find that my lessons, I feel a connection with my learner. Mm-hmm. I feel the exchange and the heart and the caring and the the laughter, there are times, you know, having sessions just brightens my day completely and it's all over Zoom. But <laughs> yes, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's a question of there not being a connection. I mean, I, I do all of my coaching pretty much over Zoom and I think actually it can be very intimate yeah. um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you're really quite close to the person. Right. Um, however, in a way, I think that's where the fatigue comes from. Because you you are really focused on that person, yes. probably more so than you would be if you were sitting in the same room with them. And that may be one thing worth mentioning is that you may feel tired after your session mm. on Zoom. And if you have the luxury of scheduling a little buffer time between maybe 15 minutes, acknowledge, mm. give yourself that break. Mm. Um, I agree. Totally. I, I That is something I always do, actually. I always have like a buffer because I I do need to just go out and, you know, stand in the garden or make a cup of tea or, you know, and just do something like that. It's for that. And it's sometimes I used to have that guilt feeling like, oh, well, I've got this buffer between classes and I should be doing my notes and I should be doing the this or the that. 
for work as mm. well. But actually, I'm so I need to decompress from mm. giving that mm. standing on the balcony or the garden <laughs> is what we need to do. So give yourself permission. Yeah. Well, and also if you feel guilty about it, you know, flip it around. It's much better for the next client if you're, you know, properly present and not still half in the previous session. Right. Right. Presence. Hmm. Oh, Rachel, I feel like we could probably speak for for days. <laughs> <laughs> this is so. I, I probably could. I love love talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Same here. Same here. But I'm aware of your time, um, and I, we just I hope that this. I know this brought some some new insights to a lot of people, and I hope that they get some benefit from maybe some new food for thought and ways to preserve their energy. Mm. That's so important. So thank you for the you know the opportunity. Oh, thank you for coming. Now, how can people get a hold of you? Um, yes. So, I mean, I think what what I would suggest in the first place is if if anybody's on Facebook, come and join my free Facebook group. Um, because you know that's so that's called um, light bulb moments Um, light bulb moments helping ELT professionals manage stress and gain balance is the full name Um, so it's kind of yeah what what it says it is so come and join that because you'll um, I do regular um, lives we have guest experts we have a book group you know so there's there's lots of things you can get involved with there um, if you're not on Facebook you can find me um, on other social media um, under life resourceful which is the name of my company um, resourceful or you know my website is the other place of contact and that's um, life-resourceful.com Excellent. And we'll be sure to put that in our episode description. That's fantastic. So, Rachel, um, you do speaking uh, in events. Um, are there any upcoming events already planned out for the summer or after um, May, June that you know are on your calendar? You might... um, so, yes, I, I do do quite a lot of um, speaking around these kinds of topics and, you know, those things related to teaching as well. Um, so I am going to be doing a talk um, for the NeuroHeart Conference in May oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, about growth mindset um, in the classroom. Excellent. Excellent. So if you don't know, NeuroHeart um, Conference is was the association started by Rachel Paling. That's right. Which is something we at business class are quite big fans of. Um, where we have a couple of neural language coaches, myself included. <laughs> so we're fans. Fantastic. Okay. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. We hope to maybe get you again someday if you'd be willing. It's yes, no, that would be great. Great. Okay, so best of luck. Really nice to talk to you. You too. Thanks for joining us in the Business Class ESL Breakroom, the podcast designed to bring business English trainers useful ideas, inspiration, and conversation that motivates. Follow us on Instagram at business underscore class underscore language and subscribe to the ESL Breakroom playlist on Spotify, Deezer, or Apple Music for new episodes. See you next time.